0: Great to see you all here this morning so um, since moving to America just uh, shortly after twenty years ago or sometime after twenty years ago i, uh, I, I I've run into some issues uh, i won't i won't lie uh, most of them have been around the way you guys talk i mean there's a problem really, so there are things that I say that apparently don't translate right uh, words that I say that get me into trouble uh, but This morning, I want to let you know that that actually works both ways, okay? It is amazing, and I've learned this coming from a country that speaks English to another country that speaks English, and yet there are some words that mean different things here, than they do back home for me. So um, uh, I was when I first moved here back in the early 90s, I was in charge of a missions program, and we used to take young people back to England on missions trips. And uh, this one year, we took a small group of uh, six or seven kids over there, and one of them it was a friend of mine. His name was James. And uh, so James was one of the group that flew through the night all the way to London after this long flight. He was picked up by the host church that would be looking after them and driven to the uh, east end of London where they were going to spend some time. And uh, from the church, it was all rushing, get your bags off the bus. Okay, now head off with these families. You're going to be staying with them. So James just bundles all of his stuff into this family's car and they drive back to their house and they get settled. And James realizes it's been quite a while since he's used the bathroom. So uh, he, he realizes he needs to go. So he says to this family, do you have a bathroom? And they said, yeah. He goes, are you okay if I go to the bathroom? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, where is it? They're like, well, it's just at the top of the stairs. It's the first door you see. Just go in there. He's like, okay. So up James, up the stairs, James goes. He goes up the stairs, uh, goes into the bathroom, closes the door, locks it. And it is the bathroom because all that's in the room is a bath and a sink, <laughs> nothing else. Because in England, in some houses, we have uh, bathrooms where the bath is and the toilet where the toilet is, and we call that the toilet. So if you were in England, you'd say, hey, can I use your toilet, or where's the toilet? And uh, unfortunately, James, not realizing that just the simple word bathroom meant something different, ends up needing to use the toilet in a room where there is no toilet. Now, fortunately, some of you are already wondering where this story is going to go. It didn't go there, okay? He uh, he thought, no, first time in a brand new home, better not start with that. So he goes back downstairs, and rather than embarrass himself and acknowledge that it wasn't the bathroom he was looking for, but the toilet, He just held on, gave it about another 20 minutes, half an hour, and then he said, is there a gas station nearby? I wanted to pick up some English candy. And they're like, yeah, there's one just down the street. So he went down to the gas station and he used their toilets. So yeah, so it's amazing how when you say a word, um, you can assume that everyone will know what you mean by that word, and it actually can mean something very different. Now, I tell that story because this morning we're going to do a little one-off service here at Connect, a one-off sermon, to talk about something that happens here on a regular basis at Connect, but um, it's one of those words that when I say it, I assume everyone knows what I mean, but, but that may not be the case. So next Sunday is a baptism service. And I realized that in three years of preaching and teaching here at Connect, and even though we've had several different baptism services, I've never actually taught on the subject of baptism. And what I realized as well is that not only have I never taught about baptism, but every time I talk about baptism, I'm just kind of assuming that you all understand what it means to be baptized and how we do it here at Connect. And it may well be that some of you grew up in very different churches than this. Maybe some of you come from a very different church background where baptism took place but happened in a very different way. Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't grow up going to church at all. So just hearing the word baptism is taking you to some scenes from some movies or, you know, you're just picturing what you think baptism looks like. I think there's a river and I think there's a white robe. I'm not 100% sure, you know, and you're, you're trying to figure out what baptism means. But even if you do know what it, what it looks like, you're still not really sure why they do it. What's up with that baptism? So this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about baptism. And then next week, we're going to kick off a brand new series. But next Sunday is our baptism service. You're going to get to hear about it today, and you're going to get to see it in action next Sunday. So, um, to help me talk on this subject this morning, at least the introduction to it, um, I've brought with me one of my wife's chairs. I say my wife's chairs. I mean, obviously, it's kind of both of our chair, but it's, it's her chair. She bought the chair. It's her favorite chair, and uh, every now and again, she lets me sit in this chair. But uh, this chair has featured on our stage before, a connect, and I'm sure it'll feature again. It's a great chair, and it illustrates the point I want to make this morning really well. But I'm going to use this chair as an analogy, and I need you to help me here this morning because you're going to see as I start talking about this chair where the analogy is going and how it can be used to kind of describe things of faith. But it is just an analogy, okay? It's not meant to be a perfect example. So don't, don't sit there starting to think, well, well, what if it was a stool? Does, does that change things? You know, well, what if one of the legs broke on the chair? What does that mean? You know, don't, don't think too deeply about it, okay? Just look for the simple analogy I'm making here about this chair, and you'll, you'll find out where we're going here talking about faith and about baptism. So, so if you're not sure what a chair is for, okay, if you're here this morning, and you're, that would be a kind of foolish as you're all sat in them right now, but chairs are designed really just for one purpose. And if you're not sure what that purpose is, then you spend a day walking around, doing some activities, playing some sport, working all day, and then you come home at the end of that day and you sit down in that chair and instantly, ah, you're going to know exactly what this chair was created for. It was just created to give you some rest, rest your legs after a long day, after a lot of walking around. It's just great to be able to sit down in a chair and use it for what it was intended for, and that was to give you some rest and relaxation. Now, I think many of us understand that and many of us believe that, but you know, there could be some people who would look on and say, well, I'm not sure if I believe that. You know, I'm not sure if that is what that chair is for. Or maybe think, well, I understand that that's what you think that chair's for, but I don't. I don't need any chairs in my life. Yeah, that's for weak people. Weak people sit down. I'm quite happy standing. I don't need any chair in my life. I'm just going to lean over here. That's not going to get my rest. And it's true, isn't it? When you think about faith, maybe you're here this morning, and um, maybe the things of faith, maybe this relationship with God, this is quite new to you. Maybe you came in and and it was new hearing this idea that there is a God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And maybe you come from the background where you didn't used to believe that. You were one of the people who had a hard time believing that. You struggled with the idea that there was a God. And even if there was a God, that he would know you personally and that you could have a relationship with him and that he could change your life. But I think for some, maybe many of you here this morning, you have chosen to sit in that chair. You've made that choice not only to believe that that chair is what it says it is, but you've actually chosen to take a seat in that chair. You know, Paul was writing to a group of followers of Jesus in Rome. And you can read the the letter he wrote to them in a book called Romans in the New Testament. It's a great book to read because um, he's actually writing to a group of people who had no real history, no real context um, to the things of faith and the things of God. Because you see, throughout the Old Testament, it was the Jews that had carried the message of God and who have understood. So, so when Paul was speaking to Jews, he knew that they had a rich history and a rich understanding of God and his work with his chosen people. But in this particular book, he's writing to what they, they call in the New Testament Gentiles. People who up till that point didn't have that connection with God. But now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, now they were free to have this relationship with God. And hundreds, thousands of them were, were discovering Jesus and having this relationship. So Paul, when he's writing to these brand new followers in Rome, he's having to kind of get really basic with them and really explain everything out. So as he's writing in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he's, he's explaining to them what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, how that works. And he says this, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul's saying, that That's it. It's not about how good you are or how perfect you are, how many times you go to church, how loud you pray. It's, It's if you confess with your mouth, if you acknowledge, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He wasn't just a great man, a great teacher. He is the Lord, the Son of God. And I believe in my heart that he didn't just die, it didn't end there, but that God raised him from the dead. Paul says, then you will be saved. You can have that relationship with God. Many of you have crossed that line of faith in your own lives. You said, I do. I I actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I I confess that. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I I would be what you'd call a follower of Jesus. Now some, maybe even some here this morning, still are, are struggling a little bit with that. You've still got some questions. Well, if God was such a good God, then why would he let this happen? And and why doesn't God, if he wants us to follow him, just just reveal himself? You know, why can't I have more proof? And and you're still struggling with that idea, and you're maybe this side of the line. You want to believe in this chair, but you've still not really got to the point where you feel ready to sit in that chair and, and take the weight off of your feet. But for many of you here this morning, you have made that decision. And if you've not, I pray that you do. In fact, I would challenge you to just pray a prayer and say, God, please, would you show yourself to me? Reveal yourself in my life. Because the truth is, I think we're always going to have questions. There are many here this morning who are followers of Jesus who still have questions that, that one day they hope God will answer. But the reality is they've come to a point of faith saying, even though I have not got all my questions answered, I do believe that Jesus is Lord. I do believe that God raised him from the dead, and I do believe he did that for me because he loves me so much and have made that commitment. So that's the first thought is that I wonder this morning if you're somebody who believes what this chair was created to do or if you're maybe still a bit skeptical looking on, thinking, I'm not sure or, or I don't need a chair in my life. But the second thing I want to talk about this morning, and that's to those of you who say that you do believe in this chair. You see, it's it's one thing to say, I I believe in that chair. That is an awesome chair. I like that chair a lot. In fact, I am 100% sure that if I was to sit in that chair, it would take my weight. I really do believe in that chair. I mean, that's great to really believe in that chair, but that's a little bit different than actually sitting in the chair, isn't it? You know, I wonder if there are some of you this morning that really do believe in the chair but have yet to sit in the chair. Or maybe, maybe you've just kind of perched on the edge. You're like, yep, yep, I, this is good. I like it. Yeah, this is a good chair. Maybe you spend an hour in this chair on a Sunday morning and you're like, yep, I like that chair, but that's that's all. That's good enough for, the, for me this week. See, I wonder if there are some who, who maybe are at that point in their lives where they're just feeling that tug, just a little bit of a, a challenge to say, you know what, I, I want to sit completely in this chair. I want to lean right back. I want to take my feet off the ground and I want to let this chair hold every part of me. Cuz I wonder if there are some that say I do believe in God. I do believe in Jesus. I believe who he said he is, but I'm not sure if even though I believe in him, if I'm ready to put my whole life in his hands to trust him completely. To trust him with my life, with my family, with my finances with my career, with with every part of my life. I believe in him. I'm ready to kind of sit just on the edge here, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to give absolutely everything to him. You see, I think God might be challenging some of us this morning to sit in the chair, not on the edge of the chair, not believe in the chair, but to sit in the chair fully back, feet off the ground, sitting completely in that chair. Solomon the son of King David, one of the wisest people that ever lived. He says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. He's not saying it's wrong to have your own understanding or to have your own thinking. He's saying don't depend on that alone. But instead, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not just a little bit, but all of your heart. Some religious leaders came to Jesus, and we read about this in the book of Matthew, and they were challenging, they were saying, hey, so you're talking about all this stuff, and it's all great, but just boil it down for us. What's what's the most important thing we must know? You've taught us so many different things, but what's the most important thing that we should know? And Jesus says, it's this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Every part of you. He then goes on to saying, love your neighbor as yourself. But, but initially, he says, the first thing, the first thing you should do is give him everything. Love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Sit right back in that chair. And I wonder if there are some here this morning who, as they've begun their journey of faith, they're, they're ready to say, well, I believe in him. but I'm not sure if I'm ready to say I trust every part of my life to him. Because, you know, there is actually a big difference between simply believing something to be true and actually putting your faith, all of your faith, into that truth. Now, if you don't believe me, listen to this story. There was a guy, his name was Charles Blondin. Anyone heard of Charles Blondin? He lived in the mid-1800s. And in 1859, he was the very first person to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He was a famous tightrope walker and an acrobat, and in that day, a couple of hundred years ago, he was so famous around the world, but especially here in the States, and people would come from all over to see him. In fact, it was actually um, June 30th of 1859. I'm sure you remember the dates well. He, uh, he gathered to become the first person ever to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 100,000 people showed up to see it happen. On both sides, the Canadian, the Canada side and the American side, he was on, there were people just gathered to see this amazing feat, and he did it. He got all the way across. And that actually became the first of many times that he crossed. He would repeat this feat again and again, and each time he would push himself a little bit more. One time he went across on stilts. Another time he went across in a sack. I read about that. I'm not sure how he did, but somehow he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope in a sack. There was one day he went across. Tens of thousands of people gathered to watch him, and he went from one side to the other, pushing a wheelbarrow. It was amazing for people to see, and as he arrived on the other side, people were cheering and shouting, and one spectator, one member of the crowd, got so excited, he said, Mr. Blondin! I bet you could go back again with somebody in that wheelbarrow. And he shouted back, I could. Come on up. <laughs> Apparently, the spectator said, Ah, <laughs> now I believe you could, but I'm not sure I want to be that guy. You see, it's true, isn't it? It's possible to believe something, but I wonder if we're willing to get into the wheelbarrow. That's a different thing, isn't it? That's trust, that's faith. And when it comes to a relationship with God, I honestly believe that he's calling all of us to have that belief in Jesus, to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, to accept him into our lives, but not just to believe it, not just to kind of perch on the edge of it for an hour a week, but to fully trust him with our lives, to sit right back in that chair. That's the second element of the faith in our lives. But I want to use this chair to illustrate one last thing. You see, this is, as I said, this is Casey's chair. She loves this chair. We've got a room in our house. As you walk into our front door, just to the right, there was this room that really has served no purpose for ages. It was just kind of collected junk and stuff. And oh, it just used to bug Case because every time people came in, it was always a mess in there. And we finally, we saved up some money and we, we had this plan to turn it into kind of a sitting room or an office. And my wife's great at decorating and that kind of thing, so she, uh, she bought a really nice bookcase and some ornaments to go on that bookcase. She bought two chairs. This is one of them, and uh, a rug, and just some pictures. And, and now, suddenly, when you walk into our house, this chair sits in this beautiful sitting room just to the right, and, and sometimes we actually go in and sit on them. But for the most part, it just looks really nice as you walk in. Now, here's the crazy thing. So when people come over, Casey doesn't just throw a blanket over it and say, oh, quick, hide the chair a curtain up. On the contrary, like for for a while after we had this, every time someone came over for the first time since we'd done the sitting room, it was like, Dave, clean up the room. Get your stuff off. Get your junk off the chair. Go put it somewhere else. Put the cushion back. I know that was you that put it on the floor. Fluff it up and put it back. Because she loved it when people came in. Oh, I love your chair. It looks great. She wanted everyone to see this lovely chair that she just bought. Now, when it comes to things of faith, there are some of you here this morning who have crossed that line of faith. You've asked Jesus to be your Lord. But in the New Testament, there's something that happens that is a step further, a step more than just making that decision. It's a public declaration. It's a point of saying, Jesus, I I love what you've done and I believe it, but I want others to know about it as well. I want everyone who sees this or everyone who comes to meet with me see what you've done in my life. So Peter, one of the first um, disciples who, who, following the death and resurrection of Jesus, then started to build the church in the New Testament world. There's a great story in Acts, and this is just shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This story in Acts of him speaking to a big crowd of people, thousands of people. And at the end of his message, he calls them to response. He says, now who wants to be a follower of Jesus? Who wants Jesus to be the Lord of their lives? And it says in Acts that thousands of them that day responded. And listen to what happened as he he spoke to those who responded. He says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he said to them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In that moment, people accepted Jesus as their Lord. And then as a sign of that decision, they were baptized. They went hand in hand. And as you read through the New Testament, you see time and time again, people who were accepting Jesus and then in that same moment were being baptized. So what exactly does it mean then to be baptized? Well, Paul talks a lot about it when he's talking to the Romans because he knows this is new to them. So in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, he says this. He says, oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we, have been reuni- if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. You see, something we need to understand here this morning is that baptism is rich in symbolism. This ancient picture is a perfect picture of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. It actually expresses the the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that is that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again. He died, he was placed in a tomb, and then he rose again. So when a person is baptized, when they're lowered under the water, it's actually reenacting the death and burial of Jesus. And as they raise up out of the water, it reenacts the resurrection. Such symbolism, and what a great illustration that is. As I'm baptized, I'm almost telling the story of why I want to be baptized, because of what Jesus did for me. I'm going public with this because this act of baptism is a picture. It's it's showing exactly what has happened. But when someone is baptized, what happens in that moment? So what I'm going to do to help explain that here in the context of Connect Church is we're going to um, watch a, a little clip of a video here in three parts as I go through this part of my message, and it's going to be a clip from a previous baptism service that we had. So I'll show the clip, and I'll kind of narrate it as it comes on. So this is um, Tammy, a friend of mine who got baptized. And uh, here she is. She's walking across the stage. She's stepping into our tub. We have a tub full of water, warm water. Uh, and here she is talking, and we're just chatting a little bit. But I'm asking her some pretty important questions here. I'm saying, Tammy, do you love Jesus with all of your heart? She's like, yes, I do. You know, in that moment, no one, I don't know if you caught that at the beginning, but there was no one behind her pushing her. You know, there was no one kind of with a stick making sure that she gets out over there and into the tub. This was Tammy of her own choice, saying, I want to go and do this, get it into the water. In that moment, we, we just talked a little bit, and in that instance, it was me baptizing her. But we've had situations here at Connect where parents have baptized their kids. Maybe small group leaders have baptized someone in their small group. Um, some great times where someone who's been baptized, they came to find Jesus through a friend And that friend has been the one who's actually been the person baptizing them. But it's just a real simple moment where um, whoever's doing the baptizing will say, do you love Jesus with all of your heart? Do you you confess your faith? Do you you trust him? It's almost just kind of acknowledging in that moment, yes, I believe he is who he says he is. It's a public, and it's not loud. It's not that everyone can hear. But right there in that tank full of water, they say, I affirm and I confirm who Jesus is to me. You see, in baptism, we let everyone know of our belief and faith in Jesus. When we step into that tank of water, it's that public declaration saying, Hey, everybody, I believe and I have faith in Jesus. We do it publicly in front of friends and family and the church. You see, Jesus himself, he said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You see, belief or faith goes hand in hand with baptism. Without faith, you don't really have a baptism. There needs to be that faith in Jesus. And you might think, well, that's kind of obvious. But, you know, sometimes um, what we see portrayed in movies and things like that, it gives a, a, a false idea of what baptism really is. In fact, check out this clip. Maybe you'll recognize this movie. <laughs> I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's man. and I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. So the, uh, the mega blockbuster there, Nacho Libre, in case you hadn't seen it, and... Um, Illustrating that all you need to be baptized is just to be caught off guard with a bowl of water, and you're baptized. Well, the truth is that isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there's there's faith and belief that comes in that it's a response to what I believe to be true. You know, here at Connect, we actually um, we. This is another subject I wanted to kind of touch on this morning. We, um, we realize that many of you may come from a faith tradition where babies or infants are baptized. Maybe you, even yourself here, were baptized as a child. Now, here at Connect, we don't do infant baptisms. We do infant dedications, We do baby dedications. So baby dedications that connect, that's when a family will come and we'll pray with that family. We'll pray for that infant and we'll just say, hey, we're getting around you here. We love you. We support you. We believe that God has a plan for your son's life or your daughter's life. And we want to partner with you and help you raise that child in the ways of God. But when it comes to baptism, we make sure or or, or we, we follow the example here. That it's a, a decision that someone makes once they're at a point of being able to make that decision for themselves. Because what we've come to understand is that infant baptism is done based on the faith of the parents. Whereas when I study the New Testament, when I looked through the New Testament, everyone was baptized. It was a decision that they made for themselves. It wasn't someone baptizing them. It was something that they said, no, this is something I want to do myself. So we will always, always here at Connect, make, challenge people to make that decision for themselves, even if they were baptized as a baby. We'll still challenge them if they feel led to do that. Because when you make that decision yourself, you're not discounting what your parents did in your baptism as an infant. You're actually affirming it. You're saying, now that I'm old enough to understand, I'm choosing to be baptized. I'm making that choice for myself now. Because I understand what it means to have the faith and the belief to be baptized. So that's the first step. It's that faith, it's that belief to step into the tank of your own accord. It's your decision. No one's forcing you to do it. This is something I want to do because of what God has done for me in Jesus. So the second part of baptism is the idea of dying to sin. So let's take a look at this, this next part of the clip here, okay? So once the person's in the tank, and once we've kind of asked that question, do you love Jesus, then we get to this part. We put him under, and we're going to pause it just there for a second. Now, don't panic. <laughs> she did come back up, okay? That's not how it ended. And if you were thinking about being baptized this morning, I know this might scare you away. I realize that right now. But I want to leave it on this image just for a second because I want to talk about, even though it happens in a split second, what's happening here? What's happening as that person goes under the water? Well, we've already talked about how baptism reenacts Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But the, what's happening here is that in baptism, we're dying to sin. It's like we're saying, that old part of me, I want to die to the sin, to the, to the things that I was doing wrong in the past. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans. He says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 7, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, set free from sin? Wait, I've been baptized. I was baptized and and I still find myself sinning, so maybe my baptism didn't work. Maybe they didn't hold me under long enough. Maybe I need to get... Well, the truth is, Paul isn't saying, this is really important to understand, Paul's not saying, hey, if you get baptized, you will sin no more. That's crazy. As long as we are alive on this earth, we're going to, I mean, and we can pray and ask God to help us, but we're going to get caught up in that trap again and again and again because we're imperfect people. But what happens in that moment is we are um, understanding that through Jesus' death, we are dying to the consequences of sin. We are dying to sin. Think about it this way Paul's saying that he's not saying that we won't sin anymore. What he's saying is that we've died to sin in a legal sense. He's telling us that in God's sight, we have died to sin. You can imagine it this way. Here in the United States, in the legal system, uh, there's something called double jeopardy, and that is that if you are arrested and tried for a crime and you're found innocent, then even if you committed that crime, you cannot be charged for it again. You are free. Even Even if you did do the crime, you cannot be charged for that crime because you've already been declared innocent. That's what's happening here. There's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It saves you not by all the good things you've done, It saves you not because you're going to promise to really be good in the future. It doesn't save you because you're going to try a lot harder from now on. No, it saves you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Despite our guilt, we can have a clear conscience towards God because in baptism, we die to sin and we are declared innocent. I know this seems too good for some of us this morning to be true, but that's what grace is. That's how God demonstrated his extravagant love for us, by sending Jesus in our place. He knew we'd never be good enough, so Jesus had to lose his life. Jesus had to be buried in death. Jesus had to rise again, so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us and the wrong we've done. He sees Jesus, that perfect sacrifice, the perfect, the Bible calls in the perfect Lamb of God, standing in our place. You know, even the act of baptism is done for you by someone else. You don't go under alone. Someone else does the work for you. All you do is accept the grace that you receive through it. So there's believing enough to step into the water. There's going down under the water, dying to our old self. But then in baptism, we rise to our new identity as God's beloved child. Let's take a look at that moment happening here with Tammy in this video. There you go. She did come up, and she's thrilled, yeah? And I love this moment. You can just see the joy all over her face. She gives me a big hug there. Now, I don't get to baptize everyone, as I said, and I certainly don't get to hear everyone's story. But for Case and I, we did get to um, walk a, a pretty specific journey with Tammy, We got to walk through some things in her life and some trials. But during that time, she came to a point of realizing, she said, Dave, Casey, I want Jesus to be everything in my life. I want to get baptized. I want everyone to see the difference he's made in my life. We knew her story. We knew what the past had held for her. We knew that moment in baptism, what she was stepping into in the future. So that look on her face, we knew why that smile was so big. We knew why her life was changed. Hugging her in that moment was just celebrating what God had done in her life. But here's the amazing thing about when you come up out of the water. Do you know that Jesus himself was baptized? I don't think Jesus would even need to be baptized. He lived a perfect life but to demonstrate to us the the power of the symbol of baptism. He chose to be baptized by John the Baptist. And listen to what happened in that moment in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I've actually got to do a lot of baptisms over the years as a pastor. I've yet to hear that voice from above. But I believe that God says that about every single person who comes up out of the water after being baptized. And here's what I love about the fact that he said it to Jesus in that moment. You see, it's pretty important to realize when this was that this happened. This happened in Matthew chapter 3. So God said this about Jesus before he'd healed anyone, before he'd performed any miracles, before he'd cared for any widows or sick or kids or elderly, before he'd taught crowds of people, before he'd even died, before he rose again, before he'd done anything that may earn his favor in God's eyes, before he did a single thing, God said of Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. He's done nothing, and yet already, I love him so much. And I think some of us get hung up on that at times, don't we? We we think, well, if I could just do this, if I could be better in this area, if I could go to church more, pray more. You know, we have this kind of list that we feel like if we would do more, so maybe God would love us more. But before Jesus did anything, God said, already, I love my son so much. And I believe in that moment, as somebody is baptized and they come up out of the water, the same is said of them. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Because you see, in in baptism, we not only identify with Jesus in his death and his burial, but we identify with him in his resurrection. His resurrection from the dead. His overcoming death. So let me close out this morning with this challenge. What's the challenge here this morning? Well, there's a pretty obvious one. Maybe some of you need to be baptized. Maybe some of you have been sitting here this morning listening thinking, you know, I think I need to do that. I think I need to take that step of faith. So next Sunday, we have a baptism service. We've timed this really well. We planned on speaking about this just one week before the service itself, so you didn't have three or four weeks to talk yourself out of it. Maybe next Sunday you need to say, I, I want to be one of those people that's baptized next week. Because when Peter said repent and be baptized, I don't want to be somebody who's, who believes in the chair. I want to get right into the chair, and I want everyone to know what God has done in my life. So like I said, next Sunday we're at a baptism service. You can fill out one of the orange cards before you leave and drop it off. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer by the Connect Point. You can write your name down if you'd like to be added to the list of people being baptized next Sunday. But maybe you're here this morning and you have been baptized. And you think, well, that was a nice service. It was kind of a good challenge, but it doesn't really apply to me. I've already been baptized. Well, let me send you away with a little bit of a challenge as well. So when you're baptized... You know, I didn't talk about this earlier, but the Greek word for for baptism is, is baptizo. It means to be fully immersed. So maybe at some point in your life, you were fully immersed like that. You were covered in water. There are other times in your life where you're covered in water. You might be swimming, taking a shower, taking a bath. In those moments, just allow it to take it back to that time that you were baptized and remember what that represents, that you share in the death and the burial, and the resurrection of God, of Jesus. That in that moment, you say, God, I know that you love me for who I am. There's nothing I can do to be good enough. You love me in this moment for who I am. I was baptized when I was 19 years old, so many, many years ago, and still I remember what that was like, and what it represented in my life. So if you're interested in being baptized, you can sign up today. If you've been baptized already, maybe this will take you back to that moment and remind you just how precious you are in God's sight and what that meant the day you were baptized. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And you sent Jesus to do some amazing things while he was on this earth. He taught and he preached. He performed miracles. He gave us such a wonderful example of how to live our lives But ultimately, Lord, the reason Jesus came was to die, was to be buried, and was to rise again. And in doing that, it means that a relationship with Jesus, we we will accept who he says he was and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. Because, God, you no longer look at the sin in our lives that we'll never be able to get a hold of, we'll never be perfect You don't look at that anymore. You look at the price that Jesus paid. So thank you, Lord, for those who have been baptized. Remind them today of what that represented and the great price that Jesus paid. Lord, if there are some here this morning that are ready to take that next step and say, I want others to see what God means to me. Give them the courage to sign up this morning and to step forward in baptism.